0: Hello. Two. Two. Hello. Chat. (laughs) Chat. Two. Two. Industry. 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 Tactics. Hi, it's Friendly Rich, your loyal host, and welcome to episode 81 of Industry Tactics, a podcast that looks at many things the outsiders in music, the weirdos. And uh, this, what I'm calling season two anyway, is uh, is a conversation with the illustrator. She, she uses the term graphic medicine. Uh, fascinating discussion. Done via Zoom, I guess it's the new way that we're trying to connect. So mind, if you're a Harris graduate, if you're a graduate of the Harse Institute, uh, mind the technical uh, inadequacy that you're going to hear. But um, I'm just super thankful we were able to connect in these COVID times uh, with Georgia Weber, illustrator, musician. Um, and um, she she wrote a book called Dumb, a graphic novel. And we unpack that among, among many other things, including uh, the focal point of this year's season two, the influence of Doug Friesen, her high school music teacher and uh, musician here in the city of Toronto. So I hope you enjoy it. We're going to cue up that Egg Circus theme song that you can hear on my recording, The Friendly Rich Show in its entirety. If you want to get into it and learn more about my work, you go to FriendlyRich.com. Here it is now, my conversation with the great Georgia Weber. Enjoy. Yeah, you are. It just fires it up, right? So good, good. Welcome to Industry Tactics, Georgia Weber. Thank you. Do I need to keep this thing like in front of my face, or do you notice any difference in the audio? I didn't
1: hear a difference. Between
0: this and this? All right, I'd rather not have it.
1: <laughs> no, uh, I don't, It's a Um
0: Well, welcome. Uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm honored to have you on, um, and I love the way this thing is writing itself. Uh you saw and heard the last episode on Doug Friesen, which officially uncorks and launches season two of this thing, which is a deep dive into the crazy world of Doug Friesen, um, who I've known, it seems, forever. And I guess you go way back with and I had no idea that you go way back with him. And we know each other from like multiple encounters just through music and other creative arts, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm delighted to uh, to kind of kick off this deep dive into the world of Doug, but not really the world of Doug. It's like all of the wonderful lives that he has affected, and I had no idea. Yeah. That that, that you were. You see, this is the thing that keeps fascinating me, and I'm hoping it will unravel and unravel and unravel. Mm-hmm. The power of education, as I spoke about a lot with Doug. Yeah. And and like the fact that so many goddamn creative people in the city of Toronto and beyond were were part of that cohort. So like maybe just forget about like your life before high school. Just start at high school for me. You know what I mean? Like you, so you yeah. got to you got to Rosedale. No, Etobicoke. No, Rosedale. Rosedale School of the Arts. Yeah walk me through how you collide with Doug and 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 we'll we'll take it from there in terms of your life.
1: Oh, okay, um yeah. yeah. Doug was just one of the teachers. I'm actually not sure if he was a music teacher in my first year there because I mm-hmm. I came to the school where the music teacher who had a reputation was uh Hayes, Mr. Hayes. Yeah. Now I can't remember Mr. Hayes' first name. I never called him by his first name anyway, but yeah. he had this whole uh, sort of innovatively accessible big band thing.
0: Yep, Doug talked a lot about him, and I forget his first name too, but it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I'm like, well, I can't I?
1: So, I mean, like, that's what drew me in because he was the teacher who did the um, placement assessment. It wasn't an, uh, an audition because Rosedale was known and probably still is known for being one of the only arts-focused schools that doesn't actually have a requirement of skill to get in. You just get okay. placed so that you're you're being taught appropriately to where you're at on your journey, learning whatever skill in the arts you want. So I had my placement assessment with Hayes and then... Uh, I only recall becoming aware of Doug in grade 10 because he was just the other music teacher. I think there were only the two of them. Mm-hmm. Maybe... I, th- I know someone else was teaching choir, and she was one of the drama teachers at the time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't super hooked into that or paying much attention, it seems, because I can't remember any of these names. But yeah. at least with Doug, it was like he was the other music teacher, but he was also offering really different things. And I was drawn to him, I think, first through um, the, I think it was the coffee houses that he was running, because that was just open to anyone. And it might have even been other students telling me about it. I, it. You know, the high school was a small community, ultimately, because it's not that big a school, and my grade would have only been, you know, 200 kids or something. Um, so, yeah, word got around somehow. And when I got into a class with Doug, which might have been grade 10 or 11, when I was officially, like, one of his students and he was grading me, it was just really, really uh, broad and open compared to the structure of like show up in class, take your music home, practice your music, show up and play it. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's one way to learn. And that was cool. I definitely mm-hmm. learned a lot through Hayes and his arrangements of things um, mm-hmm. that I probably, music I probably never would have even listened to because I just had no interest or access at that point. Um, but with Doug, it was more like, what is music like what are we yeah. what are we even listening for how can we listen differently let's just make a game out of this thing and see what happens and that game whole is of yeah
0: game is a big word right yeah. yeah yeah hey um we're so go back a little bit where you, your whole thing was uh that you don't go in to an artistic discipline is that right like is it's, it's broad-based at, at rosedale
1: yeah you're not in a stream ever you just get to select electives like everybody like um, oh cool you have certain classes you've got to take and then you just pick the other ones that fit in the time slots on your schedule that you want um you're not required to follow anything to the end. you're not required to you know go a certain direction. it's just like
0: okay you know. now I know I said I know I said just like start at high school, but maybe we'll back up a little <laughs> bit. like was was where was music in your kind of hierarchy of like being a creative person like that were you on a musical path would you say or was it kind of like all over i know uh, you're obviously like you're you're the visual arts side of of you i like I, I and i know like it's it's just interesting to me yeah i i don't necessarily i mean you do it you do it all right now like like your life right now as a creative artist has uh, like a big side of it is music and a big side of it is, is illustration as well. So I guess you, you reflect the, your, your kind of um, artistic upbringing in a lot of ways, right?
1: It's yeah, it's true that they had a sort of equal footing for me, at least when I entered high school, because up until that point, um, art and drawing was definitely the coping mechanism of choice as a child.
0: Mm -hmm. Nicely put.
1: Drawing all the time, all the time, all the time. Uh, And then music was really exciting and important to me, but I also felt like it was really pressured. And Rosedale was the only option for me as far as where I would study music if I was going to try that because I was at a stage of just trying it. I'd had like, you know, on and off piano lessons as a kid and I took violin for like eight months or something, but it was all kind of, I was uncertain. I wasn't sure. I knew I liked it. I was sort of scared to like measure up. Mm-hmm. And then Rosedale is the only place that was like, there's no bar, you don't have to measure up, you just have to want to do it.
0: So, and Doug is a great person to enable um, creativity, and mm-hmm. in, in that, like the snobbery that you see in a lot of music schools. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel he's always kind of stripped. And how important was that in your kind of, uh, in, in your journey with becoming a musician?
1: Yeah, that I mean, I would. Uh, I would go so far as to say, like, crucial. Like, if I, I don't know if I hadn't encountered Doug and his approach of just exploring and playing and trying to discover together,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if I would have ever felt music was accessible to me. Because uh, in the band setting, I was sitting there next to kids who were. Miles ahead of me because they were much more of the traditional dedicated musician type like they started as a kid They followed all their lessons. They got obsessed when they were sort of teens making an identity And I was at that point just behind and I was, you know uh, Intimidated by them and I felt like sure trying to measure up there and I was trying to be good enough But that feeling of not being good enough was just not going away Mm -hmm. and it was getting harder and harder because the longer I did that and felt that way the more it felt like well I haven't caught up yet so am I ever going to catch up like and I couldn't even pinpoint exactly what I was trying to do other than the general technical proficiency that everyone was so awed by when someone just rips on their saxophone or like shreds on the guitar and everyone's like oh that's they're a musician it's incredible and I was looking at that going like not only can I not do that, but I don't even <laughs> know what is creating that. I don't desire I don't I don't express that way, so I can't even see myself as a musician because I would not choose to do that, but I love music, so I don't know how these things fit together. Yeah. And yeah. Then Doug and his like uh Murray Schaefer exercises and also just inventing things like on the go with, with small groups and the coffee house settings where we got to like perform and share, but then also uh, once we were in class together, like actually having opportunities to improvise, even in groups of like 20 and 30 kids in a game format was like, there's nothing to do wrong in this scenario. There and you go. Even the kids who can shred, like, that's not the point. <laughs> Don't do right. it. Bother unless for some reason it fits into this game and you want to, because of course it would be welcome there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But a lot of the stuff we did was like really just about, listening to what was happening and then trying something and then having maybe a discussion at the end of you know what was that like if we were playing a game (laughs) uh i maybe i'm gonna miss summarize this because it was so many years ago but a game like a game of four where everyone is trying to make a short sound not at the same time Mm -hmm. and every sound you make that happens when there's silence, your sound gets counted. You're counting for yourself. So I could do a sound in when there's silence and then other people are trying to do the same thing. So there's this pointillistic soundscape taking place. But if yeah. ever the sound that you make happens at the same time as another person's sound, both of you have to go back to zero and you count up again for every sound that you can get through in that silence. And then once you get to four, you shout four. <laughs> and like I love it. Yeah, doing that, it was like there's no, there's no wrong way to do this and there's no right. particular skill about it. We're all just here. And then what did that feel like and what did you hear and what did you like? And we did like, yeah, listening walks around the school just thinking uh-huh. of what sounds yeah. could identify, what their origins were, natural or, or human-created. and Yeah, just stuff I probably never would have considered but also started doing and felt very connected to. And that's a huge difference for me between doing the big band stuff and not feeling connected to it, still Uh doing it and finding some fun and joy in the moments when I felt successful. But like in the pursuit, in the goals around that, I couldn't see myself. And in the goals around this kind of attentive listening and uh, presence and sharing like that, I was like, I could do this endlessly. Like I, I, I can, I can see myself here. I can do this for hours, forever, like
0: you felt it opened your imagination, uh, you know, or your creative, like a lot of your creativity in that, in that regard, or.
1: It, it opened up my thinking about it. And I think that was only, it was only really that structure of thought of like what it meant to be a musician, what music was and was not, what sounds were doing in the world or not doing, because Doug was just saying like, they're they're just here like there's nothing about this that says it's musical or non-musical it's just you paying attention so you get to decide and then run with it or or just be a listener and listening as a valuable thing also was sort of ignored in high school in those other settings of you know uh learning a song hitting your marks and then like passing
0: yeah that kind of goal-oriented you know which obviously has its place and and we get that stream that's the more Mm -hmm. traditional kind of formula right that goal-oriented stuff but a lot of dougs a lot of these games or whatnot are just like that's the point of it is just to sit there in the game and and mess around and and have fun and and connect right like i so how many years ago are we talking is this like a decade ago how long have you been out of I have no idea where to place this.
1: Yeah, no, I was in high school at Rosedale from 2003 to 2007.
0: Okay, okay, so yeah, that's a that's a good chunk of time ago. Holy smokes, that's like four years ago. <laughs> that's right. Um, and and what what do you feel you've taken with you from some of some of those experiences, which you can obviously acknowledge now. Were weird and you were lucky to come across them in high school, right? I think that's a oh, yeah. perfect time to collide with that kind of nonsense, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, what I mean,
0: full respect of the word nonsense there for any of our gentle, <laughs> <listeners>, <laughs> yes.
1: Acquired. I was like, yeah, yes, the, the, the very critical role that nonsense plays is, yeah, yeah. I, um, I mean, that I think it's pretty hard to quantify what I carried forward because it to me now feels like such a part of, like, it was, it was not that Doug handed me something I didn't have. It was that he like slowed it down and flipped the whole structure on its head so that I could see what was there
0: Mm.
1: and what was there. And I think that's why I was drawn to it and stayed with it because it resonated. There's something in me that just already wants to slow and listen and play and the pre-existing structure was swashing that, but Doug was like, no, 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 this is good. Let's pay attention. Yeah. I'm here with you. Let's do it together. Let's try. And
0: you just happens. hit it on the head. Like, that's the, I think that's the real true um, beauty in education when you see it done right, is that, yeah, I mean, it was already there, you know? Uh, it, it just needed to be the experience that kind of revealed that for, to you. You know, that's beautiful. And um,
1: extremely powerful to share that with other people, too, because I think if I had identified myself independently, maybe through reading or listening as someone who wanted to, to be that way, to, to practice music that way or listen to music that way, mm-hmm. maybe maybe it would have felt the same and maybe it would have like stuck in me or maybe I would have just felt like, that couldn't be shared with other people. And I don't know if I would have been able then to to engage beyond high school in settings where you're actually not forced to. <laughs> right. um, I mean, I nice. choose to take the classes, but also once you're in the class, it's like, if you're going to stay here, you're going to have to get a grade. And the only way to grade you when we're considering all of these sort of presence games as a part of class is for you to do them. Like, you can't swap this for reading a book. You're here, let's do it. And then also those... Those experiences were challenges for me as like a pretty shy person, but I had to rise to meet them instead of just doing an internal exploration that I could have continued in isolation forever.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, who who were some of the folks that you um, uh, either remember from like your, your peers and colleagues back then, or, and do you still keep in touch with them?
1: Yeah. Um, Toronto has a funny, like... I want to say, like, Cult of Rosedale. Um, Uh, (laughs) There are just so many people... I
0: guess that's what I'm delving into here, is the Cult of Rosedale. Oh, yeah.
1: Nice. And I would call call this sort of like a... I don't know if, like, generation would be the right word, but, like, second generation Cult of Rosedale, because when he had the program to himself, that was a whole other very, very opening experience for the people who came before me. And like those students, I think were really supported by his style. And there was a lot more play taking place in those classes and the school was smaller. So that made room. Um, But I arrived at a time when there was kind of like an influx of students in the population. So the school effectively like doubled in size in a matter of just a couple of years. Um, And then that's also when Doug was there. So there was sort of more factions within the music program and so I have yeah the, the culture of Rosedale has streams, but I'm in this this duck stream, and uh, the people who the people who I know and still see around uh, obviously I've maintained friendships that are like their own thing with some, but then the people who I just see around who we happen to have shared that time with are more like the witty boys, do you know like Leland yeah. Whitty and lowell witty i don't see yeah. them around very much um. Yeah but yeah, we're all just like in the same kind of crowd. There's, uh, Alan Zemitis and- Yeah.
0: Wow. I didn't know Alan. He, his name had, didn't come up.
1: Oh really? That's yeah. That's
0: great. I'm excited. I'll, I'll well, talk to Alan. That's great. Yeah.
1: He and like Jim O'Brien and Jordan Pastorino, like those guys still all play together And Lola, yeah. I believe sometimes. Um, wow. It's amazing how being on the spot makes this hard, but I have like so many names in my head. Um, Ben Harney will come up a lot. Bennett Badukeyan, yeah, uh, was in tight with Doug because they had a small jazz ensemble that was actually people who had been like, um, I guess, going deeper with it, and, and Doug sort of, you know, wanted this small group to work with. So that's like okay. Anthony Knight, Bennett Badukeyan, Cameron Whitesell, um, okay. Alan, I believe, played in that. Maybe, actually, maybe not, though. It was okay. a small crew, Sarah Benoit, but I don't think she plays sax anymore. Actually, okay. it's just a name I haven't thought of in a long time. Um, nice. Yeah, they're all over though. Like,
0: oh, I'm noticing. <laughs> I, am, I am noticing as part of this strange deep dive. But um, so, where where do you go after? And you only did the grade ten, like you would have only done one year, or was did you do music all the way through? Like, no, yeah.
1: When, once I once I got connected with doug and what he was doing at the school i just stuck with it all the way till i was done um and that didn't mean i still didn't have that like technical jazz proficiency so there were some things with uh, that he was doing with those smaller groups that i couldn't access just because i didn't have the technical like chops to do it um but whatever he was offering that was open for anyone to join in i was there Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: uh yeah i mean i i tried a couple things like like I took one year of just doing guitar at the school. And then I did band for all of those. Uh, I think I did band from grade 10 to grade 12. Mm-hmm. And then I had Doug's class. I did a composition class that was actually with Hayes, but I was like fully operating my brain in a Doug way. Um, cool. Yeah. And then he was doing like, you know, coffee houses once a month or whatever. And I was just always there. And like there were open jams sometimes that were just this uh, free improv style where sometimes it'd be games and sometimes it'd be more like, the duos that like um Zorn right. like there, yeah there's a lot of zorn in this as well that i i'm sure he's explained but
0: where did you uh where were the coffee houses what, what were those uh, like?
1: in the music room um oh
0: in that room okay
1: it was like a band room upstairs that was hayes's space because he had an office in there and then there was a music room downstairs that i think had previously been more of like a practicing room but there was yeah. a music office and that was his that was doug's music room
0: i see okay <laughs> Wow. Wow. And, um, yeah, you were mentioning the Zorn influence there, but so you're getting all, uh, you're getting a beautiful musical diet, right? I yeah.
1: Mean- and he would, yeah. And he would bring stuff in to just get us to listen to it and be like, you know, Hey, what do you think of this? And I remember one of our classes, uh, probably it was in grade 11 or grade 12. We actually had the option of someone in the room bringing some music that they liked and just trying to like, you know, see what the class made of it from this perspective. Mm-hmm. And yeah. There's some pretty interesting stuff there too.
0: Like any uh, guests artists that came in to um, that you recall.
1: Yeah. Except I don't think that I, I don't think that I attended those. I, if you talk to Lowell witty,
0: Yeah, I will. Will. he
1: will he will tell you about every person who came in because he was at every single one and he's Amazing. one of those people who was really really deep in his proficiency already when he was there so he was just okay. like diving in head first on all of it yeah um it's whitley i don't know if you you know chris because he's actually in like texas or something he's a chamber musician he's uh-huh. a violinist who's gone all the way in this classical direction even though i think Technically, he performs contemporary classical, which might be like, you know, all kinds of rule breaking in the world that I'm not familiar with. But, you know, I'm just bringing it up because like, well, Lowell, or any of the witty boys, someone might think of as just being, you know, jazz guys, and then also doing this and improv Mm -hmm. and jazz obviously have this like very deep relationship. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, Chris Whitley, who was trained classically on the violin from being, you know, five or six years old came through, did all of this with Doug, totally immersed himself. He was in the small jazz ensemble and then went on and just continued with his classical life. But I'm sure this had like a huge influence on him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Since lost touch with him, but I just have been tracking his whereabouts lately and finding it so amazing that.
0: That's really cool, Georgia. Thank you for, um, kind of unraveling some of these other wormholes and these are directions that I want to go in with this in terms of, so, like uh, we've been at this for what about about a half hour, and we, we haven 't barely even scratched the surface on your how did you refer to it as your main uh, coping mechanism like like il- <laughs> illustration and the visual arts like yeah. are you are you messing around on that end throughout at that time in your life too like were you
1: yeah, actually, I had another teacher there who also just busted things open for me as far as my interests um you know, things that were inside me, but I wasn't aware of. Like,
0: Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. so Doug was one of the collection of teachers we had who were, like, in their 20s, probably, like, 23 to 28, like, very young people. I'm 31 now, and I'm like, I can't imagine being responsible for teaching teenagers earlier in my life than this moment. It's just a huge
0: Oh, he was co-learning. He was co-learning with you, and it, the, when he starts in that episode that we just had, when he's touching on on some of the things that he was getting away with, there, it's like
1: oh, yeah.
0: it definitely seems like a uh, uh, a generation or a different era in terms of uh, the and 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 I just think you're anyone who got to have their brains busted by that was like really fortunate I just said I I'm like fascinated by the outcomes like yeah it's it's yeah. it really is the 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 when I talk about like a batting average in terms of like how many people from that from that time are still making art and being creative now it's like it's batting a thousand it's like a lot like yeah yeah I'd be hard pressed to find someone who wasn't you know doing it right now in their own way so Mm-hmm. So you had someone else from uh, an illustrator kind of side of, of, of your, 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 your world um, yeah. open that up for you, eh?
1: Yeah, I mean, actually a few. Like when I, when I think about that, I, I did just get incredibly lucky there um, because mm-hmm. there was Doug breaking open all the musical rules and especially the learning rules and the playing rules. And then on the other side, there was this teacher who was coming from the contemporary art world Wow. and uh he had a music practice too he does like drony, crunchy uh guitar stuff that
0: mm-hmm.
1: last i heard and this is me drawing on like a performance probably 10 plus years ago that i happened to be at and remember this from but i remember him being really fascinated with like how things degrade and so he was approaching music from this you know uh subversive contemporary art background but he also taught yeah, great he also taught uh he invented, created for us a non-traditional art class. Wow. So we had art classes like drawing and painting and whatever, but then he came in and it was my grade 12 where we had this non-traditional art class. And there are basically units, I guess following maybe like every month of the school year or something where we would learn something new. So we did like digital art and installation art and uh, sculpture because we didn't have a sculpture program. I don't mm. think, unless I was just totally blind to it, but I don't know. Uh, but one of them was comics, was oh, yeah. a unit. So, yeah, I mean, I pro- I came to that being like, I don't know, what is this? And then because I was having to think about it for my class, I was asking people in my life, like, what is the deal with comics? Like comic strips. I mean, I love Calvin and Hobbes, but I don't think yeah. I can write it. Yeah. And so someone showed me a Julie Doucette book and I was just like, Great. my mind completely busted open. And then I just like fell down that rabbit hole. And I was, I have to mention this, even though it's a little aside of the whole musical thing is just, no, no,
0: another
1: here. teacher, two of the teachers at the school besides this non-traditional art teacher. Mm-hmm. One of them, a creative writing teacher has just been like a mega champion of mine all the way through trying to encourage me to write more and like get more involved in writing outside of school. And, you know, she yeah. was just like a wonderful support and she connected me with a drama teacher at the school who happened to be just like a total comics nerd. And so when I was about to graduate and I hadn't applied to schools cause I didn't know where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do, she yeah. was, well, you could just stay for another year and we could do some like independent study writing stuff. And I bet you that Steve would teach you comics if you wanted to do that. So Steve and I had like an independent comics class. It was just the two of us meeting once a week and like diving into that world really heavy. So,
0: Wow, that sounds really important. That sounds <laughs> yeah. really important.
1: Very, very much. Yes. Yeah.
0: So you, you essentially did a grade 13 with this independent study or is that how it shaped up?
1: I did, yeah, and that actually allowed me okay. to kind of hang around the school when Doug was doing stuff. So I got like an extra year of intermittent contact with that world as well.
0: Wow, um, and and I mean, before you even hit thirty, you were a published uh, illustrator, right? I mean, and and graphic novelist—is that what you? Do? I don't I don't know the proper terminology, but I think went for it. Fuck it, I went for it. Okay,
1: Bravo. <laughs> but, yes. uh, yeah, no, I think, especially in this world, uh, that I work in like graphic novel was such a useful term for helping people outside of comics, be serious about it. Like take it. Yeah. And it does apply when someone's writing novels and their comics. That's what it is. It's a graphic novel. I just happen mm-hmm. to write uh, graphic medicine, which is comics about health and Come my on particular perspective in that is usually non So I'm doing memoir work of, of my own. And then just this past year, I actually collaborated to help someone else create their memoir. Um, and now I'm working on other non-fiction work. So I don't tend to use graphic novelists because it implies that I write fiction, which I don't.
0: And 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 you refer to it as graphic medicine.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm under the umbrella That's... of comics. Like comics and comics art is the big umbrella that we're yeah. all under and then yeah, yeah. graphic novels under there. Graphic medicine is like a subgenre for me. Like if the genre is nonfiction, the subgenre is graphic medicine.
0: That's really beautiful. Um, And where though your these two worlds kind of intersect is 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 your is it your first book? Is Dumb? Is that yeah. right? Did I get that right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's the first.
0: And and that has your the that has voice front and center. Yeah, and 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 all of the other arts, uh, obviously, around it. Do you want to talk a bit about about that? Because I really think that's a nice. I mean, I, yeah, I don't even know where you go after this grade thirteen independent study, but <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll connect the dots, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that I, I do have to because the story of dumb coming about is very much one of like. Um, moving away from that influence that doug and the other teachers had on me because i was no longer in school i sort of went out into the world trying to make my way creatively and basically kind of fell into my own mind traps of that similar like well i can only make things once they're good enough or i'm good enough and uh too scared to do it too scared to put anything out just like Mm -hmm. internally suffering such incredible criticism of myself Mm-hmm. and i still did a lot of stuff but i liked facilitating other people more than making things myself like okay I a zine for a couple of years and that was very much supposed to be me supporting other people to get their stuff out there of course that meant my stuff you know wasn't going to make it because i was running the whole show mm-hmm. and uh i was what was
0: the what was the name of your zine
1: it was called uh ganglion or ganglion comics <laughs> Um, cool. Hard to say, which I obviously feel bad about now because it's hard to be like, "This is what it is," and get all excited. I, I wish I had my old copies here now, but they're actually at my parents' house. um
0: Is it because did you name it after that because you had a ganglion?
1: No, and okay. I mean that name is a very, very broad term in medicine. It's just like there are ganglion okay. cells, ganglion cysts. They're not the same thing. Yeah. All over the- okay. Um, but I, someone brought it from the collective of people who was contributing, somebody brought that as a title, and then we sort of ran with the lion part of it, um, It it just gave us something to play with, so we, like, all the contributors used to, like, give me a drawing of a lion, and that would be in the Mm. book somewhere at some point, which Mm,
0: is nice, and That's nice to know that that you had this, yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: But I didn't, so, I mean, that's just along the way of me getting to making my own comics, that was sort of all I could muster the confidence to do was support other people. Okay. Also a direct influence of being so supported in that time in high school. I, I felt the effect and I was like, I want to pass that on. Yeah. But then when it came to making my own work, I was totally strangling myself. And when my voice pain started and then just didn't stop for you know months, it was... All told, I mean, I still experience this voice pain now, but like the experience that I ended up choosing to manage the pain was to not speak um, for as long as I could handle it. And that was like nine months that I wasn't speaking in any kind of regular way or like almost at all. I had 15 minutes a day where I Mm. allowed myself to talk and just feel out how painful it was. Mm. Um, But that was basically a check-in and just to make sure that I didn't like mess up my muscles with atrophy. And then the rest of the time I was totally silent, having so many deep experiences of how my life was functioning without my voice and how the world was interacting with me and how I fit into it. But pretty much right away, once I made that choice to stop talking, I was like, I've got to make a comic because it's a story that I could actually really own. And I didn't feel that I had to be good enough to tell it because it was mine and I just needed to get it out and figure out the best way to do that. Um,
0: it's so beautiful. I just think as a, it's such a unique story too. I mean, just the yeah, all of it. So I'm r- like, I-, I could see why you immediately were like, yeah, I got, I, I got to do this, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, how did that come to be in terms of you uh, getting it published? Like, well, that must have been a a, a journey for you, right?
1: For sure. I mean, I knew as I was starting to make it that I was facing a massive fear. So I sort of tried to mitigate that by deciding to publish small chapters of it on the way myself.
0: Okay. An
1: opportunity to get feedback from people. And I just knew that the support oh. would be so helpful to finish. Uh, oh. And yeah, so I mean, I was doing that and like, you know. That's running-
0: a great process to to.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. I just I just knew that I needed it. I, I, mm-hmm. I've been so scared, and every time someone encouraged me, it was helpful, but it was fleeting. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I kind of needed both to get it out there and see what the response would be, but also to get it out there so that even later when I was doubting myself along the path, I could turn around, you know, pull a couple issues of the comic out of my closet and be like, I did this. I can do the next one.
0: I get All it. Right? I get it. Yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah, I mean, that happened, and then along the way conversations with publishers were sort of uh casual and ongoing because the comics community is very small and yeah i mean i think it ended up just being like an email exchange with fantagraphics where i was like hey i'm i'm receiving some i, I received the wonderful honor of being a keynote speaker at a graphic medicine conference one year and it was before the book ah. had come out actually this was the impetus for me starting that conversation was emailing Gary Groth at Fantagraphics and saying, Hey, I am going to be in this conference next June. And I would <laughs> love to be able to tell the people in the audience where they can buy the collected edition of this book. Do you want to do this? And he was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> it,
0: you know, that this podcast is called industry tactics and that is a guy that that is a that is a beautiful little 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 clip there. I mean, that really—how to? I mean, uh, who, who taught you how to do that? That is a huge skill. Like, uh, did you always have those chops in terms of? Oh, that's that's huge. What you just walked us through, right?
1: I guess so. I mean, it felt fairly natural to me, but also at the edge of my of my confidence, you know, to to really just like you know, walk into someone's email inbox and just say like, Hey, what do you say? Um, But you
0: feel having the the sample chapters help that dialogue
1: vastly. Yeah, no, I I really, the confidence to do that actually came because there had been a previous email exchange that had no mention of publication in it at all, but Mm -hmm. it was actually that uh, Gary, I had given some of the issues of my comic to him. I think just issues one to four, Mm. And it was a gift of thanks because he had done me a favor. And again, comics world is small. So in mm. like the process of going to festivals and just having sort of a table and some FaceTime with people and then going to, you know, the events of the festival, this is all, by the way, when I say this, I'm mostly referring to the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, TCAF.
0: Okay. okay. Um, Shout out to TCAP.
1: Yeah. There are other festivals uh, that were, a part of that, but TCAP was the biggest for sure. Okay. You know, getting familiar with people gives you opportunities to like hand over your work and just say like, Hey, this is me. Like, you know, no pressure, but I just, I, if you're interested, here it is and you know, pass it on when you're done or whatever, but lots of hope going into that as well. Um, so I think I learned a lot of it from that. And then it was just, it was an amazing thing that once I did that and I handed those, those few issues to Gary, he actually wrote me an email just like out of the blue a few months later saying hey i i really appreciated these books like thanks for giving them to me beautiful um, they're really beautiful and i wrote back and just said wow yeah thanks for reading like i really appreciate you taking the time to write to me and like that was the whole exchange
0: no, Nice, <laughs> then, nice. it was
1: like a year or two later that i wrote him and said hey so i i really want to tell these people at this conference that i have a book coming out do you want to publish it so
0: i love that i love that pitch i mean i i look i i think the more I hear your, your story, it's like, it, it's really a- evident to me, like all of the the pieces kind of come together, right. As they do, like, I love hearing about your education and how it, that extra year, like it all makes sense to me, the,
1: yeah. the path
0: that you're on. Um, and, and also I'll pick up on, on the idea that you build community in a lot of your work. And I, I wasn't familiar with this term, Maybe I didn't read the book as thoroughly as I should have. <laughs> this, this term, uh, graphic medicine—it's the first. Is that in the book? You talk about no that?
1: No, I never said it because I actually made this work. Like, I started making the story just because it was my story and I wanted to tell it. And then the graphic mm-hmm. medicine community pointed me out and said, "Wow, you're doing this. You're one of us." And I was like, "Oh, thank you." They just welcomed me in.
0: Wow, Georgia, you. you isn't it great when you find your kind of community and your family? I think it's so beautiful. I, that's that's part of the art that we all, love. that's why we do it, I think, right? I mean.
1: Yeah. Um, for connection, for so, expression.
0: Absolutely.
1: To be heard, all of it.
0: And so um, I want to talk a bit about um, y- MA vocal arts and how that vision ties into all of this. Mm. And then also that, that other project that you were working on recently where you were helping someone else kind of tell their, their story through graphic art. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much going on. Um, Sure. Well, to stay in the comics world for a second and then I'll I'll head back into like music and voice and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. The collaboration that I just finished is now going to be a book called dancing after 10, which is the, Memoir, The graphic memoir of Vivian Chong. She's an artist, she's an athlete, she's a dancer. Um, Many of those things she learned to do uh, after a traumatic experience wherein she lost her sight due to a really, really strong and rare reaction to medication called TEN. Uh um for toxic epidermal necrolysis and if you look it up you might be shocked by the images so i recommend starting with words if you're curious okay and so she yeah she went through this really harrowing experience and all of the sort of uh life fabric around that event um Mm -hmm. she wanted to tell the story When she was in it and when she was losing her sight, she actually had that impulse to tell the story in drawings and in comics, and she began, but her sight uh, left her entirely before she was able to finish. So I ended up being the artist who was called in to finish it with her 10, 15 years later, actually.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So it was a very, very deep collaboration.
0: Wow. So so you only kind of deal with like... uh incredible collaborations you're not you're not (laughs) that is that is that is magical so oh wow
1: yeah that was a really big process I mean we did it fast too which was uh, it's a part of the one of the casualties of this moment um, Uh. that we so I was actually approached by Vivian Chong and her dancer collaborator Kathleen Mm -hmm. Ray because they danced together and Kathleen had this idea to adapt a one-woman show that Vivian had written about her life into Mm. a one-woman show plus a big dance expression of all that she's done with her life since that traumatic event. And then it was only through that dance project that she discovered Vivian had written these comics and then really wanted to finish the book. So I was brought in and we were trying to do all of this so that they would be timed, so that the book release would be timed with a dance show. And Mm. that was supposed to happen at the beginning of April. but here we are in the pandemic, are. and none of those live events have been possible and the book is in the world right now but it's in warehouses okay. uh it will be available in may wow in stores and that's another okay. graphics publication um yeah. so that's what i spent my last year wow. doing and it was just a really fast really intense project so uh yeah it wasn't in my plans but when it was offered to me i was like this is kind of my wheelhouse. Let's
0: go. And and beautiful that it's linked to Fantagraphics and you're you're you just seem to be, I don't know, the kind of connecting the dots in a lot of ways on a lot of these projects and collaboration. It seems just very organic, the the path that you're on, you know, to Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And and super meaningful. Like that is very moving. Um, just to hear Yeah, like that's and and interesting that you and selfless in a lot of ways. Like you you're you're not in the foreground on that one, right like you're you're bringing this beautiful story to life and helping it, but uh there's a lot of charm there in that it's not it doesn't have ego in the in the in the foreground as i don't know sure, yeah. <laughs> seem to naturally have you know
1: yeah i mean it's it's cool because uh I really like that. I can still make work that I really care about and put yeah. a lot of myself into just in terms of my thought and my energy and the skill and the, what I would find beautiful but it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be coming from me as like the the origin right. of it or the the real message like it was her message and mm-hmm. then my way to just make it so um And, yeah, I mean, maybe this is also a good segue into the Maw performances because I never created that event series with the intention of performing in it. It's Mm -hmm. just to bring people together and really Mm -hmm. to, like, uh, it is to share an appreciation of voice that I gained from my experience not being able to talk and that I philosophically dove into by creating Dumb because Dumb is very much my meditation on all of the parts of life that voice touches, Mm -hmm. Um so maw, which is just an old-timey word for mouth, you might have seen in like old song lyrics or old written books that there'll be a gaping maw or there'll be someone tossing food down their maw.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and it makes a nice shape and, and sound when you say it. So that's a lot of what, um, what I was feeling when I chose that. And maw is just, it's a live event series where people from all different kinds of vocal arts practices come together and get like a short set to share what they most want to share to appreciate the voice and to explain their approach and their philosophy about the voice. And I put a lot of different people together so that people in the audience who are just absorbing all of this or receiving it um, might broaden their understanding of voice and all of the parts of life that it touches just from this other other perspective or through this other channel.
0: Mm.
1: So we have like um two yeah i would say one to three events a year. <laughs> cuz some years i just only get one of them out and i started it on World Voice Day which is April 16th so that was yesterday. Um so every World Voice Day i do another ev- an event cuz it's like an anniversary but also this you know worldly celebration it's nice to bring awareness in that in that way
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh yeah if, i mean i have people from all over the map like voice teachers uh, people who are writing or performing music in some capacity because i really believe every voice no matter how similar the style of music is offering mm-hmm. something specific even if there are a bunch in a row that are singer-songwriters their voices are all different they're all doing something different so mm-hmm. there's sort of an endless variety within that and then there's the broadening of a definition of vocal arts that comes from including people like poets and sound healers and Mm. uh, yeah I've had like I had an auctioneer at the last event who was incredible and people who are improvising with their voice as an instrument and then people who are um, just simply using their voices in really thoughtful ways like teachers have to think about that whether they're teaching voice or not Mm. Um, I had like a voice actor come and describe the kind of acting she can embody when she's only going to be witnessed in the vocal sense instead of like her whole body and and movement through space. Um, Yeah, there are just there's so many deep, deep avenues to touch there. And I basically just try to pull together a wide enough variety that if you're in the audience, you do not know what to expect. But that creates a lot of receptivity that's not otherwise there. And sometimes a more careful listening attention too. Right. And then hopefully participation. I love when we have a live event and we're all in a room together. I mean I begin every show by explaining why we're there and what we're doing. And sometimes that means I start making sounds and just say, join me. And then we do it and we just like do all sorts of crazy things together yeah. to and be there and feel it. And then if if I've got a a person who wants to do something with the audience, they're kind of primed, they're like ready and all the diversity of experiences of like hearing someone screaming and then hearing someone uh, making tones for the purposes of offering health to the room and then hearing Mm. someone read their words. Like they really just, I think break down some of the walls that we have for categorizing what belongs and what doesn't and what we're willing to do and what we're not. And people get Mm. a little more lively and open and then start singing and start doing maybe unknown things that, They're just, like, ready to try.
0: I mean, I love everything you just said, and I trace a lot of it back to Doug in Uh, in a strange strange kind of weird way. Like, that was, you know, just the, you you can't really categorize it or box it in, and I just, I see a lot of, like, I'm not to say that I, I really like also what you said about, like, yeah, this is me, like uh, these teachers along the way helped me realize who I am. And mm-hmm. and I love the community building in, in your practice. And I also love the um, kind of selfless and the, the underlying, like this health thing is like really, I mean, in the times that we're living, uh, oh, yeah. I just think more important uh, by the day and, and and how that just became part of your, uh your practice is fascinating to me. You know, like I'm I've uh you're the definitely the one of the first people who at least have that in the foreground. I mean of Yeah, yeah. You know, beautiful. Um thank you. <laughs> where do you yeah, you're welcome. Where do you sort of see your where are you going with it?
1: Um I think that I think that part of creating maw and bringing so much attention to voice like the origin of that was having pain in my body so that's where my health focus comes from mm. uh my own pain that i couldn't find the right kind of support for for a long time and then once i did just yeah wanting to share it as much as possible like i've got mm-hmm. a I've got some practices that i do and people who i lean on and people who teach me that i feel like very grateful for and my job seems to be to bring what I learned there and what my body has taught me into connecting it to health and creativity Mm. because I don't really see creativity and health as separate things. And they're also not ever separate from us.
0: Yeah. Nicely put.
1: Yeah. they're, They're just things we need access to that, you know, we, we feel alive, we feel healthy, we feel creative. Those are all kind of simultaneous to me. And so uh, having a creative practice that's not relegated to that that good enough zone, um, it also connects to having like health in your life that doesn't have to be good enough or meet anyone else's bar of expectation. Um, so I'm just trying to like keep expanding those things. And I'm writing another book, which is uh, more about, Finding health and creativity, but through an, a deeper understanding of trauma and how we experience not being healthy at a more mm. like emotional level. Um, so, and yeah, and that's a very I'm a I'm very excited about that project. But I don't think that I speak about it in short form because it's got sure. so many layers. But it's called Dark Hole, and the hole is mm. like a W H O L. So that's mm-hmm. the like health influence coming in. And that, um, that's going to be my year this year, is just figuring out how to make that. And then also how to make sure that while I make it, I'm not causing myself more harm.
0: Because uh,
1: in that idea of being good enough or of working fast enough or of producing enough or of making enough money, I've spent a lot of time causing myself stress and pain and strain in my relationships and strain in my sense of safety in the world. And so if I'm going to make this book where I'm basically trying to, like, imbue it with all of the lessons that I've gained from acquiring a a more robust sense of health, I don't want to hurt myself while I'm communicating that. And this is a whole new process for me to undertake as just a way of living. Um, So as I do it, I would love to be sharing it with other people, and I'm starting to imagine how that might look. Like, in this pandemic world, I might be offering something online. I might be uh just even writing about it so people can sort of follow along yeah um i certainly want to do more ma because that's leading me closer and closer to my musical heart where like i really want to be writing and singing and playing and feeling connected in that uh but i got some shit to work through so (laughs) there's a lot yeah
0: I think you're doing a, a great job and, and you've got a lot figured, like you really got a lot figured out. It seems I just, uh, admire the path that you're on. It's I feel like I know you a lot better now from this, uh, hour that we've spent <laughs> yakking.
1: Uh, yeah. I, I don't think we've ever talked for a whole hour. No, no, no,
0: no. <laughs> and I really appreciate, you know, how even that happened. Right. Like we, we have a lot of, connections obviously and um you know i just i'm very thankful that um that silly little post about what i'm up to with the freezing boom it's kind of unearthed <laughs> and that this is kind of what i want i want to just follow my my nose when it comes to this one so thank you for uh for kind of kicking that off in the spirit of what you're bringing to this Amazing. Um, I'm very happy to do it. As hey, you- do, you, do you have any recordings or anything that we can kind of end on that, that showcase your uh, huh. your vocal? Uh, no, no pressure. We could always just snip it um, wherever logical, but...
1: Uh, <laughs> uh i'll see i know that okay. one of the improvising things that i've done is playing with my friend andrew stewart um with like a duo violin improvisation and definitely um joe strutt has a recording of that from last oh
0: week. neat well, if it's not too much trouble i'd love to to showcase some of, of of what you've been up to musically as well so yeah
1: yeah sure i mean yeah and i'll see what i can do because that's not voice but if i have anything you know okay. somewhere in my archives i'll send it along. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah feel free georgia and uh, and thank you for making time and uh, uh, you take care of yourself
1: thank you so much yeah, you too and i I'm very excited that you're doing this dive into doug <laughs> into into Doug's work because as you know from talking to him, he has a lot of that like very endearing self diminishing quality to describing even his own work that he's very oh, passionate yeah. about and I just want to like sing its praises so right on. Yeah. Sing
0: on, sing on, and yes, exactly. You're not gonna find a more humble human. Like he doesn't want this to happen. I know, is. I know. Yeah, but
1: yeah. It's yeah. Like, but we need it.
0: We need you. <laughs> I, I've been, I've been honest about. I've been fascinated by it for years, and it, like equally with, with you coming out of the woodwork, I had no idea you were part of that family. You know, and this family runs deep. Like I keep coming across more and more weirdos, who oh. like, he kind of um, unleashed their you know, yeah. know, the voice,
1: uh, Evan Cartwright, you should talk. To yes. Evan yeah. That, and yes. Just, yeah. yeah. Evan, Evan's got the same sort of like huge heart appreciation that I do. And I'm, I know you okay. too, but Evan yeah. to like, you know, share it with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. If any other, um, on this journey of, of, finding the others, uh, if any others come up definitely shoot me a note and, and I'll uh, follow up.
1: Yeah, if you're, just as a a last one, if you're interested Mm -hmm. in someone who is not doing music anymore, but absolutely recognizes the profound influence that Doug had on her life, I have someone for you there.
0: Okay, okay, thanks, Georgia.
1: If it goes a different way, but...
0: Yeah, yeah, why not? (laughs) Let's do this. Cool. All right, well, you take care of yourself.
1: You too, yeah. I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Thanks.
0: Thanks again, Georgia, for, for making time for the podcast and sharing your story as to how you connect with Doug Friesen and your wonderful career to date. Wishing you all the best. Uh, we're going to end it with a recording um, taken live at the Winona Lodge from Joe Strutt on, uh, actually in the fall of 2018. This is uh, This is Georgia performing alongside Andrew Finley-Stewart, uh, it's an excerpt from, from that recording taken by Joe Strutt, and we thank him, uh, his Mechanical Forest sound project. Check that out online. And here it is now. We're going to end it with a, with a little clip of Georgia performing with Andrew. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you again soon on Industry Tactics.
1: Thank you.